I grew up reading sports magazines, and I love trying to describe for my kids how used to, if you wanted to find out sports news or something, like it would come out in a magazine form once a week or once a month, and the world that we lived in was not immediate. But I grew up reading sports magazines, and the back of them, always of these sports magazines, always had these ads in them. And the, the one ad that I remember was this, it was an ad for something called jump shoes. And these were special made shoes that had a platform at the front of the shoe so that your heel could never touch the ground. It's like a reverse high heel. And the promise of jump shoes is that it would help you jump 10 to 15 inches higher and be able to dunk a basketball. The guy that endorsed jump shoes was five foot five and I knew I was never gonna be a real tall guy. So there was this image in my mind, if you get jump shoes and I could add 10 inches, I could dunk over all my friends and this would be amazing. I, I never had jump shoes. I knew one guy that had jump shoes. But jump shoes had this promise that this is going to be the trick. I actually looked it up to find out, did these ever actually work? <laughs> Turns out the exercise program that went with them was the thing that was effective, but you can't really sell a $150 exercise program to 13-year-olds. So they sold shoes, and then if you did the exercises, then you would jump higher. But jump shoes had this promise that your calves will become huge and you're going to be able to dunk and you'll be the coolest kid in your middle school or in the high school because you too can dunk a basketball. Now that I'm an adult, we have lots of other products that make promises that are, this product is going to change your life. If you buy it in the kitchen, you are going to become a wizard and everyone's going to want to come to parties at your house because you can cook and do whatever. Or as an adult, there's all sorts of like things that come to us and promise if you buy this new tool, you are going to be able to be the carpenter that you always wanted to be. You're going to be able to uh, make joints that you never imagined possible and your wife is going to be amazed by your, your, what you can do. I was thinking about that this week because we, here we come to Christmas and we're surrounded by promises that if you buy this thing, if you go through this program, if you, if you eat this special food, then everything is going to be different, right? We're surrounded by promises saying your life can be different and your life can be changed. Just get, just embrace, just grab onto this one thing. Today we're going to be looking at a passage in Luke chapter 1 that, that talks about that those things that promise us to change the world. That's going to make everything better. If you read this book, if you go through this training program, if you just embrace this goal, everything is going to be okay and everything's going to be better. Luke chapter 1 deals with that, 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 the kind of world that you and I live in. Talking to us about what promises do we listen to? What promises do we embrace this Christmas for joy, for peace, for prosperity, for, for the kingdom that we want to come? So turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Today we're going to be looking at the announcement of the birth of Jesus in verses 26 to 38. Verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, 
Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondering what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, help us, to, help us to hear what you call us to embrace this Christmas. Help us to, to hear the promises that you call us to listen to. Help us tune our ears, tune our hearts, and embrace with our whole lives the kingdom and the ruler that you are sending. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke is a historian. We talked about this uh, uh, briefly last week. Luke is a, uh, got a great education and he sets out to write a history of Jesus. And he writes it in two parts. The book of Luke and the book of Acts go together. Like this is the story of Jesus and his disciples. And he starts tracing this history. And he starts with two birth announcements. This is the second birth announcement. The first one was of the, the boy that will be called John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel goes and announces the birth to his father, Zechariah. And so there's a lot of similarities between these two birth stories that go together. Verse 26 and 27 just kind of sets up the, the, the account. So Elizabeth is pregnant. The news is getting out because she's six months pregnant. God sent the angel Gabriel, same, same angel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Nazareth in Galilee is a, an insignificant, tiny little town. It's a few miles from one of the great cities of the north. And so we find out later that Joseph was a carpenter. We find out in other places that Joseph was a carpenter and Jesus would have worked alongside him. A carpenter would have been a construction worker. And so it's this tiny little nowhere town up in the north, a few miles from a big city where they would go to do their work. And the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, but she's described by her being pledged to be married to Joseph. They would have to divorce, but they weren't fully married. They were just betrothed or engaged. They, and so it was a binding agreement. But before they'd come together to get married, the angel comes to her. And I love that Mary gets really confused at first. The angel, that throughout Scripture, when angels show up, when Gabriel shows up to Zechariah, people fall down in fear and they're scared. And they, what, what am I looking at? The angel comes and says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Greetings, you who have grace on you. The Lord is with you. And Mary's like, is he buttering me up? Like, what is, why would he come to me and say, you who are highly favored? I don't know anything like this. And so she stands there puzzled. And then Gabriel's words are, again, he repeats this idea, grace. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. You have found grace with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you were to call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So Gabriel starts this birth announcement to her and explains, you are going to have a special 
baby, and he starts piling up these images that this is the promised Messiah. This is the son of David. This is the, when all of God's promises in the Old Testament to one day come and set up a kingdom through one of the descendants of David. The angel is saying, Mary, this is that baby. The king is coming. All the promises are coming true, Mary. This is, this is the time of all times. It, uh, there was a tradition among the Jews at the time that you didn't you hadn't actually prayed unless you prayed for the coming of the Messiah. And so when the angel comes to her and says, this is the Messiah, this is the angel telling Mary, who, who raised in Judaism and has been praying her whole life for the coming of the Messiah, hears the promises are coming true. The years of us being under the, the, the power and authority of a foreign government are going to go away. The years of us being separated from God, the years of us struggling under the burden of sin and under the burden of living in this place under other people's control is going to come to an end. And so Mary hears this and hears the promises are coming true. Mary's reaction in verse 34 says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. How will this be since I've never been with a man? Her question is a little confusing because she's engaged. And, but her question focuses on man and who is the dad going to be to this baby for this promise to come true? I don't know if she's doubting her, her, uh, Joseph's uh, uh, ability. Joseph is from the line of David, but Joseph is, uh, we find out from the book of Matthew, a poor man. They, he couldn't even afford a normal sacrifice. And so Mary's like, whose baby is this going to be? How can this be? that I could be pregnant. And this gives space for Gabriel to shine a light and say, this is how this is going to happen, Mary. Verses 35 to 37 is where Gabriel responds and explains how. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. Gabriel focuses her attention. She's like, who's the dad going to be? Focusing on man. And he gets her attention and says, no, this is going to be the son of God. We're not talking about a, a mere man. We're talking about the God-man Jesus. Then he tells, she doesn't ask for a sign like Zechariah did. Zechariah was mute for the nine months of the pregnancy. And Sarah, or, I'm sorry, Mary doesn't ask for a sign and yet he gives it to her and says, your cousin, the one that you, the, your relative, the one that's been barren, she's pregnant, six months pregnant. She's showing now, Mary. And then the angel does this, a version of a quote. He kind of quotes Genesis chapter 18, where the angel of the Lord had actually come to Sarah, who was barren and says, no, no word of God will ever fail. Genesis chapter 18 uses these words, and Gabriel brings it forward and said, no word of God will ever fail. And so then Mary responds. You see, there's so much, there's so much comparison between Zechariah and be, between Mary. And, but Mary's response is the most distinct thing about this, this story. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary is echoing the same word verse in, in verse 37. No word of God will ever fail. She's echoing that and says, may your word be, to me be fulfilled. May the things that you've said come true. Mary bows in submission 
That is her response to this birth announcement that announces the time of all times has come. The promise is here. All of the stuff that you've longed for and hoped for for so long is here, Mary. And Mary says, okay, may it be to me as you have said. This this story calls you and I to embrace God's promises, his authority, and his power this Christmas. You see, so much of our lives promises, well, this is going to be the way towards joy, towards happiness. You're going to be fulfilled. You're going to be able to deal with the holes in your heart if you just do these things. This, so much of our lives promises that this is the way you should go. Walk this way. And this Christmas, the birth announcement of Jesus here in chapter 1 calls us to embrace God's promises and God's authority and God's power in the baby Jesus the God-man Jesus. What I want to show you is three actions to embrace God's promises in this passage. Verses 32 and 33 call us to set our hearts on his kingdom. Verses 32 and verse 33 call us to set our hearts on his kingdom because that is what these verses, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is not just an announcement that a baby is going to be born, but that a kingdom has come. That a kingdom is here. And so Mary is being called And all who here are being called to set our hearts on his kingdom. If Jesus is who God says he is, then his kingdom has come. There is this image in the New Testament of the kingdom of God both now and not yet. There there is this down payment in the coming of Jesus. And yet when he comes again, it comes in full. And so what Mary is being called to, and then the disciples are going to be called to this in the rest of the book of Luke, and it's what all the Christians are called to in the, in the book of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament, is to set our hearts on his kingdom. If the baby Jesus is God's king, then that means that we are called to line up our hearts with his kingdom. You see, our temptation is to set our hearts on other kingdoms, to set our hearts in other places. If only I could get my family situation right. If only I could get my children or my grandchildren or my in-laws or if I could only get one of these, then everything is going to be okay this Christmas or this, this year. If I could just fix this situation, then everything is going to be okay. That, that's the temptation to set our hearts on another kingdom. Yeah, the, the temptation to just control all of our circumstances, trying to control what happens at work, what happens with finances, what happens in our personal lives. If I could just get everybody to do what I want them to do, that's setting our hearts on another kingdom. If I could just make sure everybody around me thought well of me, if I can just impress everybody else so that they think that I'm the the husband, the father, the wife, the mother, the daughter, the employee, if, if I could just impress everybody else enough so that they think well of me, that is setting our hearts on another kingdom. And the story of Jesus is this story that if Jesus, the God-man, is coming with his kingdom, and it is a call for us to set aside all of our kingdoms and pursue his, to follow his kingdom, and say, okay, you get the control. You're the one whose reputation matters here. You're the one who's on state, at stake here, not me. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. 
says, is a prophecy of this baby. It says, for uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Christmas is this invitation for us to give up on our kingdoms and accept Jesus. Christmas is an invitation for us to give up our priorities and our control, and if only I got my way, the world would be better. It's instead to put that on the shelf and take Jesus. And so what does it mean for you to set your heart on God's kingdom this Christmas? What does it mean, where is that promise that you embrace, that you hear in your heart, if only this would happen, then everything would be okay. What does it mean for you to set that aside and say, God, I'll take your kingdom, even if it looks upside down from what I'd planned on. Even if it wasn't like on my schedule, even if I don't get control of it, God, may I set my heart on your kingdom in my home. May I set my heart on your kingdom in my family. God, may I set my heart on your kingdom in my country. Not my kingdom in my country. Your kingdom in my country. That's the first action, to embrace God's promises at Christmas. The second action, verses 35 to 37, call us to bow before Jesus' authority. Bow before Jesus' authority. Verse 35, where Mary has said, how is this going to be? Who's the dad going to be? What, focusing her attention on man, the angel's answer is, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Gabriel focuses her attention on this is not just a man. This is not just a baby. This is just not not just some other agenda. This is not just another leader that's coming through. Because you see, the, the people of Israel regularly had people coming and promising that they were the Messiah. I believe there were 25 named Um, named so-called messiahs trying to lead the people around the time of Jesus' birth. They were totally used to somebody saying, oh, like, hey, go this way. I'm the promised deliverer. But Gabriel says, this isn't just a man. What we are dealing with is God himself. And if this is God himself, then the only proper response is to bow our knees. That's the only proper response is if this is if this is the king, if this is God, then the only response is not to say, why did you do it this way? Or why don't you go this way? Or why don't you do this? It's to instead just bow our knees before him. You see, the temptation that you and I deal with is to try to use Jesus and not bow to Jesus. The temptation that we deal with is to try and bow before somebody else or to get other people to bow before us. That's why the Bible in Colossians calls greed idolatry. Anything that tries to command our hearts and our allegiance and calls us to obey and to walk in this way and to do this thing, promising to deliver us, is setting itself up as an authority in our lives. And if Jesus is God, then the only proper response is to bow our knees before him. And to say, okay, God, this is your agenda. 2021, You've been the king of it. 2022, you're going to be the king of it again. Let me bow my knees before you. The kids and I like to uh, watch a, uh, a Mr. Bean skit where he cuts hair one day. He actually goes in to get his hair cut. And 
he sits down to get the haircut and the barber has to run into the back to answer the phone and start he starts pretending to be the barber himself and starts making a mess of everybody's hair that comes in the everybody that comes into the salon they don't know what's happening here they think he's got he's dressed right he's doing all this stuff but there's one guy that can't see real well and he gets his hair just butchered and later he like realizes what's happened he's got big thick bottleneck uh, I'm sorry very thick glasses. I'm drawing a blank. Very thick glasses. Can't hardly see. His hair gets totally butchered. And when he realizes what happened, he comes back in. And Mr. Bean's way to get out of the barber shop without getting killed because he's ruined everybody's hair is he grabs a picture of, prince, of the prince from the wall, puts it up in front of his head. And nobody else is tricked by this because everybody else has good enough vision. But the guy that can't see very well like looks up through his thick bottle uh, glasses and immediately bows on his knee because oh the prince is here in this barber shop and I was thinking of that that story where the guy who doesn't know any better but he sees the prince and bows his knee no matter what happens in this strange little place that reaction that this guy has to the picture of the prince that looks like a real person to him is the response that God calls us to at Christmas this baby that's coming to be born to a young woman pledged to be married to a poor carpenter in the far, the far city in the land of Israel. This is going to be the king. This is going to be God himself. And so the only proper response is what Mary does. I am the Lord's servant. Let me bow my knee. Okay? If this is what you're doing, God, let me bow my knee before you. And so Christmas isn't this... Not even just an invitation. It is an invitation, but it's also a call to the world to bow our knees before Jesus' authority. So will you bow to his authority? When he, when he speaks in his word, will, will, we, will you and I together bow our knees? Looking at our lives in our home, not going, how can I get my way? But God, you're the king. I, I, I want to bow before you. Like beginning to, in our, in our thought lives, go, God, I want you to be the king in my thoughts. I want you to be the king over my anger. God, I want you to be king over my desires. God, I want you to be the king in my grief. Will you bow before Jesus' authority? And the third action to embrace God's promises at this Christmas is will you believe his words? Believe his words. Verse 38. This is Mary's response. All of this birth announcement comes to her response. Zechariah's response was, how can this be? I'm too old. This can't happen this way. Here's Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary's probably somewhere between 12 and 15 years old at the time. She's a young woman, again, living in, a, in an insignificant town far from the seat of power. She's not wealthy. She's not got all this talent that everybody's just waiting to discover. But what she does have is the grace of God and an angel who's spoken God's word to her. You see, that's what an angel is. The word angel means messenger. This angel is a messenger coming from before the face of God and speaking God's words to her. And so Mary's response is to bow. 
and say, may your word to me be fulfilled. This is so incredibly important. Mary is fixing our attention on the the crucial issue in the Christian life is what will we do with God's words? Not not, Not simply can we just behave enough. Not simply can we just do all the right things and think the right thoughts, but when God calls to us, will we bow before his word? It's what we see when we look in the book of Romans that tells the history of the world. And it says that that in Romans chapter 1, it says that the world trades the truth of God for a lie. We didn't want it. We just trade it away for a different story. We take a different word. When we look at the life of Abraham, Abraham is described as he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Believing God's words is the crucial issue in the Christian life. What will we do with his words? So we're going into the Christmas season If you're like me, you're starting to look towards 2022. What are we going to do? What are some plans that I need to make? Maybe this Christmas, as we're called to believe the words of God, to respond to God's word, we need to begin to make plans for God. How am I going to respond to your word in 2022? Am I going to make sure that your voice is loud in my ears in 2022? that I'm going to give myself and my family space to read your word, to meditate on your word, and to respond to your word. Getting practical here in the month of December and going, what am I going to do to take in, listen to, and respond to God's word? Because that's the crucial issue at Christmas and the crucial issue for us year-round. So this passage announcing the birth of the king, announcing the arrival of God's promises, calls us to embrace God's promises, his authority, and his power this Christmas. But what if you were like me, and most of the time our hearts are not set on God's kingdom, but they're set instead on on our own kingdoms. What if you're like me, and you so often don't bow before Jesus' authority, but instead go, well, but I, I, I know better. I really think this is the thing that I should do. I I think that I'm justified in feeling this way, in thinking these things, in treating people this way. What if you're like me and you hear, oh, I was supposed to believe God's word, and the thing that comes into your mind is all the times that you haven't believed God's word. Where is the good news at Christmas for those that hear this word and go, "What? this is a law that I cannot keep. This is a law that I have not kept, not in my thoughts and not in my actions. Where is the good news for those of us that have not embraced God's promises, God's authority, and God's power? The good news of the gospel is that this king who was coming was like no king before him. He wasn't like David. wasn't like Solomon. He wasn't like kings that started out well and ended up in disobedience. Jesus was a king who came, and in Matthew 6, prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done in our place. Jesus is the king who came and in Matthew 28 stands on a hill and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the one in Philippians 2 who is obedient to the point of death in your place and in my place. Jesus demands, I'm sorry, Jesus does what Christmas demands of us. 
So though that we do not embrace God and his promises and his ways, he embraced God's promises, authority, and power for us. So now he can embrace us at Christmas. Christmas is not just about trying to embrace God a little bit more. It's actually God himself coming and embracing us in our sin and in our inability to please him so that we can be set free from the law, given new hearts, so that then we embrace his promises willingly. Maybe you're here today and you, you need to, for the first time, take this free gift at Christmas. Last night we were at the parade. And I was noticing the parade floats and the different themes. And, and I, I told Emma later, I was like, I, I think the theme of Christmas is though I deserve coal, I'm offered everything. Even though I deserve coal, I'm offered everything. That is the theme of Christmas. Joe, what does it mean to be offered everything? How do I take that offer? The way I tell the story is that the Bible, starting in Genesis 1, says that God makes the world and that makes him the ruler of it. We see it here in this passage again. If Jesus is God and God made the world, then he owns me and he owns you and he sets the rules but Adam and Eve and you and I have turned our hearts away from God and said, no, we know better. There are better promises. There are better ways. We want our own kingdoms. The Bible calls that sin, and God promises that one day the consequence of sin, the wages of sin will be death, spiritual death in hell forever, and physical death in this life. But Christmas and the rest of the Bible is the story of God coming and living the life that we should live and dying the death that we should die so that all who turn away from sin and trust in Jesus are included in God's family and Christmas becomes good news of great joy for us because we can know the heart of God is his love for us demonstrated starting with Christmas, ending at the cross and his power is shown in the empty tomb. To raise those of us that we, we couldn't raise ourselves from the dead. We can't embrace God's promises good enough. We can't, we can't bow to his authority good enough. Jesus did these things in our place so that this Christmas, we can know for sure that Jesus embraces us. I want you to imagine with me what changes when we see Jesus for who he is. Because you see this passage that calls us to embrace God's promises, authority, and power is calling us to embrace Jesus because that's where we see God's promises, authority, and power. I want you to imagine with me what changes when we see Jesus for what he is. All the promises of God coming true. The heart of God, the authority of God, the power of God all demonstrated in one place. Imagine what changes when we see God, we see Jesus as he is. Well, imagine what changes in your personal life. Imagine what changes in your home when you measure the promises of God, not by your circumstance, but by this baby. Imagine what happens in your, your marriage when you don't measure the, the authority and power of God by how well you and your spouse are doing, but you measure the authority and power of God because looking at Jesus. Imagine what happens in a community where there's a church that is picturing and pointing to the promises of God in one person, the man Jesus. That is good news at Christmas. That's a good news kind of church. That's a good news kind of marriage. That's a good news kind of home. And that's what we're called to embrace this Christmas, when we're called to embrace Jesus. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for your, we thank you for your word that is always true. So when we hear your promises to rescue your people and to wipe away tears, when we hear your promises to give an inheritance to those that don't deserve it, when we, when we hear you say that your kingdom has come and is coming, we can trust it. Help us to do that this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand with me as we sing this final chorus of uh, joy to the world.